Turn in your Bibles, please, once again to Genesis 25. We're finishing our series here this morning on Abraham and Sarah walking by faith. Genesis 25, verse 1, and this is the Word of God. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Latushim, and Leumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanok, Abida, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. While he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. It was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael's sons buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife, and after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Be'er Lahai Roy. Join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we sang for all the saints. Lord, truly such was Abraham. So, Father, as we've been spending the last months looking at his life, and Father, today his death, we pray for your Spirit's help to grasp what you're teaching us about Jesus Christ. And, Father, the hope we have. Now, all this applies to us today where we are. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. His name is Jehoram. He is the king of Judah, but he's nothing like King David. He's nothing like his own father, Jehoshaphat. In fact, his first act as king is to kill all his younger brothers in order to secure the throne. He is truly a despicable human being. Uh, And as we come to the end of his life, here's what God's word says. The Lord struck him in his bowels with an incurable disease. In the course of time, at the end of two years, his bowels came out because of the disease, and he died in great agony. His people made no fire in his honor, like the fires made for his fathers. He was 32 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem, and he departed with no one's regret. He died in great agony, and he departed with no one's regret. That's the epitaph on his grave. That's hardly how God intends for us who are his people, who are made in his image, to reflect his glory. So what does God intend? In John 10, Jesus illustrates his ministry to us by comparing himself to a shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And in the midst of that, he makes a statement about his ministry. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, a full life. A better life than any life that sin offers to us. So 1,400 years before that public statement of Jesus, Moses is writing the book of Genesis, and he's searching for just the right words to tell us about the death of Abraham. Keep in mind that he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What he writes is what God writes. His mind sought just the right words to some of Abraham's life. His walking by faith, here's what he wrote. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. 
the full life, literally just this full, by the way, the full life, abundant life that Jesus promised us based on the coming of uh, his coming is something that Abraham, by faith, also possessed. So how is that his life was, was, was full, already abundant? So we want to see this morning. Before we begin, just make a note about this word full here in Genesis 25. If you have a New American Standard Version, it translates as, as satisfied. And that's because the word idea is that of sitting down to a big meal and eating that meal and you get up full. You get up satisfied. That's the background of the word. Abraham lived his life to the full. He was satisfied. So how can we be satisfied as we've just sung? Let's, let's go to the text and see. First, the satisfied life means we enjoy our whole life. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Abraham was undoubtedly sad when his wife Sarah of about 100 years died. Uh, and Isaac got married last week. So here is Abraham. He's 140. What's he going to do? Well, what every 140-year-old man does, he gets married. All right? Bet if you didn't read this before, you wouldn't have seen this coming. Uh, and it's interesting the various opinions people have about his marriage. Uh, example, John Calvin. Great frustration, consternation that Abraham did this. Here's what Calvin says. It seems very absurd that Abraham should marry another wife. Abraham acted most foolishly if after the loss of his wife, he in the decrepitude of old age contracted another marriage. Next time we'll see what Calvin really thinks, all right? <clears throat> uh, on the other hand, Chuck Swindoll, he's one of the great preachers of the last part of the 20th century, first part of the 21st century, he writes this. Instead of asking why Abraham would marry again at his age, a better question would be, why not? He had a wonderful relationship with Sarah. He loved his home. He loved having a family. He'd grown accustomed to the intimate companionship of a mate. So when Sarah died, remarriage became a choice to consider. And so he gets married. And he becomes a father again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. At 150, he's got toddlers running around his feet. Try to fathom that. And then when he's 160, Abraham's son Isaac, his wife Rebekah, gives birth to Jacob and Esau. So Abraham was privileged to have his grandchildren around him the last 15 years of his life. He had a bumper sticker made for his camel. Let me tell you about my grandchildren. All right? Uh, and those of us with grandchildren, we can identify the, the joy, uh, happiness that bring into our lives. Abraham had little Esau and Jacob climb up in his lap. Proverbs 17, 6 reminds us, grandchildren are the crown of the aged. Who would have thought that Abraham would have enjoyed this crown? So he enjoyed his whole life. He walked by faith the whole way. He finishes well. He's satisfied. You know, not everybody does. Many stop enjoying life at an early age or don't enjoy it at all. A couple years ago, Newsweek magazine had an article entitled Advice to a Bored Young Man, and here's what it said. Died age 20, buried age 60. The sad epitaph of many Americans Mummification sets in on too many young men at an age when they should be ripping the world apart. For example, many people reading this page are doing so with the aid of bifocals. Inventor, Benjamin Franklin, age 
79. And I suspect we all know some people that it seems that they, uh, if it could be said, died age 20, buried age 60. So what God intends that we should glorify and enjoy Him all our lives and forever. Being satisfied means we enjoy our whole lives, every part of them. You know, that beautiful picture we have from Zechariah 8 holds true. Old men and old women again shall sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in his hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Satisfied life also means we're thinking about the next generation. Verse 5, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. Abraham's wise. He knows with all these additional sons, there's going to be some, some question about the inheritance. He's already said everything's going to be Isaac's, so he's still living. He gives them gifts, and then he, he sends them away. Uh, and this is the equivalent of, of his will. And the great wisdom is that, that we will have a will that describes our property and how it should be divided. Uh, it may be that like Abraham with uh, the sons of Keturah, he, he, we give some possessions to people we want to give them to while we're alive. Uh, but the point is, we need to be wise about the future and the reason of what we have. And the reason is this. It does not belong to us. It's not ours. Nothing we have is really ours. It all belongs to God. It's all entrusted to us, and it's a sacred trust. That's why we must think about the next generation with what we leave behind. To otherwise be unconcerned, perhaps not leave a will or sufficient life insurance. Uh, well, that robs us of the satisfied life. And the thing about the next generation, we ought to be sure we do not just hand down our possessions. Those are tangible symbols of our blessings, to be sure. We've got to hand down the intangibles, our moral values, our work ethic, and especially our, our faith uh, in God. The promises of God that are for us and for our children and for all who are far off, for their children. Abraham's greatest gift to Isaac is the faith he demonstrated at Mount Moriah when he was about to sacrifice Isaac. We can be sure Isaac never forgot that. Friends, we need to leave a spiritual legacy for our children. We need to leave behind an example of faith. As the Apostle John writes in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now he's talking about his spiritual children. But there's no greater joy we have with our own children as well and our grandchildren than to see the faith being lived out. As a pastor for 40 years... I can tell you, there's great joy in hearing that people you've been privileged to pastor are still walking by faith. Part of a satisfied life is certainly thinking about the next generation and knowing that they're walking in the truth. Atlanta's Marie Robinson recently celebrated her 100th birthday. She even took a moment to dance when she entered into the party. She has nine children, only five are still living, 35 grandchildren, 101 great-grandchildren, 18 uh, great-great-grandchildren, all right? 
And her family said she's been an extraordinary role model to her family, friends, members of her church, and the Cab County community. She's a giver, and she loves to serve others. And they asked her what advice she had to give for the younger generation, and she said this, the one thing I would say, like to say to the young people is to raise their children right, because you know that the young people, they don't seem to understand, but the old people need to teach them what's right, raise them right, tell them how to love one another, and keep trusting in the Lord, and he will make a way for you. She knows Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Keep trusting the Lord. That's the legacy um, she hands down to her family. She keeps thinking about the next generations. And then the third thing we see is that satisfied life ends with going home. Verse 7, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full, and was gathered to his people. Very simply, he died. As with Sarah, we're not told how, we're not told if suddenly a long death, but we are told he died full. He died satisfied. Remember how chapter 24 started out? The Lord had blessed him in every way, family, wealth, and great faith. And his life was certainly full. How many would have by faith set out from Ur in the first place? Do you remember his misadventures in Egypt? Remember the time he played Rambo and put together a guerrilla coalition to fight against the Mesopotamian River Alliance? Remember his public testimony that God gave him that victory when he gave the tithe to Melchizedek? Remember he prayed for Lot's safety and for a change of heart on the part of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember the long-awaited birth of Isaac, the three-day journey to Moriah to sacrifice him? And now more children and more grandchildren. The Lord has blessed him. He dies full. He dies satisfied. He dies walking by faith. But you see, death's not the end of the story. He's gathered to his people. He goes to be with Sarah and all the other believers in heaven. As we read earlier, he is, was looking forward to the city. And now he's there. You see, the satisfied life ends in heaven. Uh, but now when we, when we talk about the satisfied life from our perspective, from Abraham's, please understand, the reason is not because God was satisfied with him. Despite how good Abraham was, he made mistakes and he, he was a sinner. What satisfied God with Abraham was Jesus Christ, in whom Abraham trusted Genesis 15, 6 tells us, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross, satisfied God the Father by receiving the punishment that was due to Abraham and due to us, that a just God must give out. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. When Jesus lays down his life for his sheep, he takes upon himself our sinful record. And he receives our punishment. And he gives Abraham, and he gives us his perfect record, 
His perfect righteousness. There's a great exchange. When God now looks at each of us who are believers, He sees Christ's righteousness, Christ's perfection, Christ's record. And God is satisfied with us because of Christ. And so Abraham's given, and we're given, abundant life. The full life that begins now, and it continues into eternity, where we are going home to. And finally, notice, the satisfied life means we make an impact on others that continues after our death. In the words of Revelation 14, 13 that we read earlier, for their deeds follow them. Verse 9. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. Abraham's sons, Isaac and Ishmael, come together for the burial. uh, Abraham and Isaac did not lose contact with Ishmael. And so he joins Isaac in honoring his father. They bury him in the place that he... Selected by faith in the land of Canaan, as Abraham believed that one day his descendants would inherit the land. They would possess it. Buried in there is a statement of his faith in God to the world. Their burial of him is a statement of their love for their father. He would be missed. Heard a story that would be funny if it weren't so tragically sad. His name was James Brown. He lived in Texas. He had a lot of family members come in for sort of a family reunion weekend. And for two days, he sat on the sofa in front of the TV as the family went about their business. Then one of his sons made the discovery. James was dead. Uh, The coroner came in to determine he'd been dead for two days. For two days, life had swirled around him, and nobody noticed he died. No grandchild climbed in his lap. Nobody tried to talk with him. Nobody offered him anything to eat. I'm guessing it didn't make a lot of impact on other people. Not really sure about that. But Abraham, and we've spent months now with him. So when you think of him, what do you think of? If you were charged with, with writing his epitaph, what, what, would you, what would you put? Let me suggest three words that I think would be good descriptions if somebody would ever apply them to us as well. The first word is obvious. It's it's Moses' word, full. The second word is friend. We looked at this before. Remember that Abraham three times is called the friend of God, twice in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament. Abraham really enjoyed his relationship with God, and God really enjoyed his relationship with Abraham. Let me ask you this. Do you enjoy... Uh, being a believer? Do you find joy in being a follower of Christ? Uh, Being a friend of God's? Friends, that's the satisfied life. It's fun. It's adventurous. And no, it's not always easy. And certain doesn't always mean that life goes our way. It's not perfect. It's like us. We're not perfect. Abraham was not. But he was forgiven. And he was God's friend. And Jesus tells us in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life 
for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. Abraham did what God said to do. Abraham was God's friend. He had a track record of obedience. Then the last word I would say in connection with Abraham, of course, is faith. Hebrews 11 begins, Hebrews 11 this way. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. Uh, That divine commentary goes on to highlight the great moments of faith in Abraham's life that we read earlier in uh, the Declaration of Truth. Abraham, walking by faith, preserved for us in God's holy and infallible word, impacts our life as an example, as one who can look back on his life and be satisfied. And he died full of faith and a friend of God. Then one more thing to note is, and that life goes on. Notice verse 11. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac set up heir Lahai Life continues. Isaac gets up and keeps on going. Ishmael gets up and he keeps on going. The whole world keeps on going on with living. For most of us, when we're gone, our families will pick up and keep going. People adjust. Do we, do we miss our loved ones? Of course we do. But see, God dispenses grace that as time goes on, we do go forward. Thankful for those who have left us. Anticipating the day when we see them again. But let me add something. This all reminds us we live in a fallen world. Abraham dies because it's a fallen world. Death is among us. Because of sin's entrance into this world. And Isaac still lives among a pagan people. As do we. And some pagans, some do horrible things to people. We see that with the Taliban's history in Afghanistan and what they're doing today. Friends, they are ruthless killers, oppressors. And rapists. And they're in charge again. So as God's people, what are we to think? How do we respond? Our hearts ache for the Afghan people. Even though the vast majority of them do not know Jesus Christ. Uh, Let's remember Abraham's two responses to his fallen world that we can talk about today. First, when Lot and his city were captured. And it was possible... For Abraham to intervene militarily on behalf of the righteous and pagan people, he did. God used Abraham to rescue pagan people. And when it came to Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain, and God announced judgment on those cities, Abraham's only means at that point really was to pray for them, to intervene on behalf of the righteous And pray he does. And in the midst of that prayer, do you recall, he says, Will not the God of all the earth do right? That's Abraham's faith. And friends, that's got to be our faith. Yes, God will. Yes, God is concerned. 
God cares about the Afghan people. We see that in his concern for the people of Nineveh. Psalm 9 tells us he does not forget the cry of the afflicted. He cares for the poor. He cares for the downtrodden. And God has a special concern for the church in Afghanistan. He cares for those in Haiti that no one's reached with physical relief. And our faith must be that he will do what is right. And meanwhile, we've got to pray and pray. Friends, ultimately the battle's not with the Taliban. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle that's already been fought and has been won at the cross by Jesus Christ. But we know Satan will go down fighting. Make no mistake about that, but he will go down. We join with the saints across the years with the same cry that comes from the martyrs in heaven and crying out, how long? How long? That's the cry that goes up today in Afghanistan and around the world. And the only real weapon you and I can wield today is prayer. Prayer and trust. We need to commit fully to the Great Commission, as Gary talked about, uh, so that people may know the satisfied life that you and I know by God's grace. It's only by God's grace we're privileged to know. Friends, be thankful that you were born in a country by God's grace, the gospel's fully proclaimed in. And look forward to that city that's not made with human hands, saved in heaven for us. So what about us? If we were to die today, would somebody write that we were satisfied? Or that, you know, they died to no one's regret. Would they say, wow, he or she, they really enjoyed life. We'd be known for thinking about the next generation. We'd be known for walking by faith. What spiritual legacy would we leave behind adults? And while you're thinking about that, let me specifically ask the young people here, middle schoolers, high schoolers, college age, what sort of legacy spiritual legacy, spiritual heritage, are you building right now? Not when you're older. Right now. That you can hand down to the children that are among you. That one day you can hand down to the next generation in your own family. Friends, we've got to think generationally like Abraham, as well as geographically when it comes to the gospel. Let me ask all of us, can we say with certainty that our lives will end with going to heaven? I mean, do we know that without a doubt? Has that great transaction taken place where Christ says, take my perfect record and give me your sinful one, and I'll take it to the cross and give you life, life that's full, life that's forever, by faith. And if you've not, and you see today the emptiness of your life, if you see the record of your sin and the truth of Christ, that's the Holy Spirit showing you those things. That's the Holy Spirit convincing you of His truth and enabling you to believe. And you need to respond to that today. Do not be like Jehoram. He died in great agony. And he died to no one's regret.
But that agony is nothing like the agony that he's experiencing right now. And he will experience for all eternity because he did not know Jesus Christ. So, is God your friend? Do you have faith? Do you take him at his word that offers that friendship? Do we demonstrate his friendship and his faith, our faith by the way we walk, by the way we pray for this fallen world? Friends, Abraham died walking by faith to the end. Full. Satisfied. As Jesus says in John 8, 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. May we likewise look forward to the coming day of the Lord. Satisfied with Jesus and glad. Father, first, we would pray for the church in Afghanistan. Father, make them invisible to the Taliban, we would pray. And make them visible to the hurting people around them that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, use the church, we pray. Father, bring, be merciful to these people, we ask. Father, we thank you that in Christ we have hope. Father, may we be willing to share that hope, Father. Share it with the next generation. Share it, Father, around the world in Bulgaria, in Haiti, in Afghanistan. We would pray. And Father, is anybody here today without that hope? Father, show them Jesus. Show them the cross. Show them your love, we pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege to be satisfied, to be full because of Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.